Hey, this is Stephen, and I want to welcome you or welcome you back to the Grove Church Podcast. For more information or to find more resources like this one, be sure to visit us at grove.org. Thanks for listening, and I hope the following message is encouraging and meaningful to your life. On a humid evening in 1935 in the middle of a jungle in Southeast Asia, on a mango tree-lined river, a man in a boat named Dr. Hugh Smith floated along slowly. As darkness covered the area, Dr. Smith began to hear the sounds of animals wrestling in their dens and flying from their nests, prepared for their nocturnal hunts. As Dr. Smith floated along this river, the stars began to shimmer off the surface of the water and all was still and peaceful, if not even a little eerie. And then in a flash of brilliance, the canopy of a mango tree right next to his boat began to flash and it caught Dr. Smith's attention and he looks up at the tree. It looked as if almost lightning had hit the tree, but not lightning coming from outside the tree, but lightning emitting out from the tree. And then just as it had happened, it disappears. And then sometimes like lightning does, it strikes twice. And immediately again, in the span of just a mere moments, the tree and the canopy lit up again in this bright illuminescence. And Dr. Smith was puzzled and confused. He had never seen or even heard of a phenomenon like this. He couldn't even begin to understand what might be happening with this tree. He knew it was something, something explainable, some phenomenon that he could discover, but he wasn't sure what it was. And then what really took Dr. Smith back was for thousands of feet along the bank of the river, all of the trees, all of the mangrove trees along that side of the riverbank, they all begin to flash on and off, on and off. They were synchronized. This amazing illuminescence coming from these trees, all coordinated on and off, on and off. And what Dr. Smith eventually realized was there was not some magic spell cast upon this forest, but millions of bioluminescent lightning bugs all coordinated and synchronized in the way that they would light up and then turn off and light up and turn off. And so Dr. Smith took note of this and upon arriving home in the States, he wrote an academic paper describing this natural phenomenon that he discovered in Southeast Asia. And it was immediately met with ridicule and skepticism. Scientists, mathematicians, biologists, entomologists said that there was no way possible that this phenomenon could be happening as Dr. Smith described. They said that there's no way that this amount of order could, could come from all of this chaos. There's no way that these bugs would do this. It seemed contrary to the evolutionary nature. You see the way the lightning bugs work is it's the males that light up and turn on and turn off. And so the purpose of that is to attract the attention of a female. This seems like the wrong approach if you're wanting to attract the attention of the females for all of the males to be lighting up and turning on and turning off in the same measure. It seems like the females will get confused about which lightning bug to go to. The hope would be that you would light up when no one else would and the female would find you amongst all of the others. And so entomologists said that this doesn't even make sense. This seems implausible. This seems impossible, really. But it turned out that all of the experts were wrong. Dr. Smith was correct in what he observed. You see, this is a natural phenomenon that occurs in mangrove forests in Southeast Asia. This highly synchronized coordination amongst all of these bioluminescent lightning bugs. 
They illuminate for thousands of feet along the banks of these mangrove forests, on and off. And what they realize is that it's actually not contrary to the evolutionary nature. It actually serves a biological and evolutionary purpose. You see, when left to their own devices in isolation, as an individual lightning bug, when a lightning bug lights up on and off, it has about a 30% chance of attracting the attention of a female. But when coordinated, collectively, when all of the lightning bugs flash on and off together, the likelihood of female lightning bugs being attracted to these male lightning bugs and finding them to mate with them jumps to 82%. An increase of 79% more successful when they coordinate together. You see, what scientists have learned is that fireflies, these lightning bugs, they, they're better together. What I love about this story and the reason that I share it this morning is I think that what scientists have discovered about lightning bugs is something that we've forgotten about people. You see, we've forgotten the fact that we are actually better together. It seems contrary maybe to the way that we're raised in the world that we're raised in. You see, in the Western world and in America in particular, at this time, more than ever before, we have grown up in a hyper-individualized society. We're taught that you prioritize the individual over the collective group. The needs, the wants, the feelings, the desires of the individual matter most. The rights, the liberties, the freedoms. That's what you should protect at all costs over and at the expense of the collective group. We've forgotten that we're better together. And not just the fact that we've grown up in this hyper-individualized society, but even over the last six months, I've noticed how we have forgotten this truth that we are better together. Now, more than ever before, I see the way that we are disconnected, that we're isolated, that we're segmented and separated from the people that we so often used to share our lives with, from our communities, from our church, from our friend groups, even from our family members. We're so distanced and separated that it is easy and has become easier and easier as the days and the weeks and the months pass for us to forget that we're better together. You see, if you listen to mainstream news, what you hear is that it's groups of people that are dangerous. It's other people that you have to be weary of and leery of. And while there is some scientific truth to that, it, it often creates this undertone of suspicion and distrust. I see it every time when I go into the grocery store. If you see somebody who sneezes or coughs in public now, all the heads turn and snap and immediately focus with glaring evil intent at the person who made the horrible mistake of sneezing or coughing in public. We've become more distrustful of each other. And then all of the other things that are happening in the world around us, the way that we have been even more divided than ever before partly through the language and the, of the news and the media and the way that our political parties have tried to create divisions amongst groups of people. What we're seeing in America and in our world and our community now more than ever is that we do not believe that we are better together. We've been told that we're better apart, separated from those people or those other people. We have to be weary and leery and protective of all of the other people in the world around us. We've forgotten an important truth, that we're better together. But we're not the first group of people who have forgotten this. We're not the first group of people who need to be reminded that we are actually better together. You see, thousands of years ago, 
one of the books of the Bible, the letter to the Hebrews was written to a group of people who were struggling to remember this same truth. They were struggling to remember that we're actually better together. You see, their world in many ways is like our world now. They were raised in this pluralistic society, this Hellenistic Greek philosophical influence mixed with the Roman Empire, mixed with Jewish theology and religion. And so there were all of these competing thoughts and opinions, suggestions, guidance and advice about the way that you were supposed to think and the way that you were supposed to act and how you were supposed to live. And so it was easy for all of these different segments and subsections of the population to form, separated and identified and distinguished from each other by the things that they thought or believed or the way that they chose to live or didn't choose to live. And so there are all these fractions and all these factions of the population. This is the world, this is the context in which the letter to the Hebrews is written. And on top of all of that, this is a group of Christians who are trying to follow in the way of Jesus Christ amidst all of the pluralism. And on top of that, they're being oppressed by the Roman Empire. They're being persecuted. They're being beaten and tortured and imprisoned and even killed by the Roman Empire because of their Christian faith. And so the prevailing wisdom of the time amongst this group of people was it was better to separate. It was better to go our own ways. It was better to just look out for ourselves. If we were together, we're at risk. If we're together, we're slowed down. If we're together, life isn't as good as it should be. They forgot the truth that I think that we struggle to remember today, that we are better together. And so this morning, I just wanna take a moment and look at some words out of the letter to the Hebrews. It's a reminder that I think is important for the people at that time, but it's also a reminder that I think is important for us in our world today. We need to be reminded, one, that we're better together, but also why that seems to be the case. And so we're going to be in the 10th chapter of the book of Hebrews. So I'll invite you to turn with me there, and I'll read starting in the 23rd verse. If you're joining us through our online platform, you can use the little Bible tab and click on the book of Hebrews in the 10th chapter and the 23rd verse, and you'll be able to read along with us. The translation that I'm using this morning is the NIV. Now remember, this is a group of people who had every opportunity to find some way to justify the way that they were thinking and living and acting. There was some philosophy, there was some guidance, there was some school of thought, there was some leader or teacher espousing some idea or ideology that they could subscribe to. But this group of people, they're choosing to follow in the way of Jesus Christ. And by making that choice, they're being persecuted and they're being tortured. And so this is written to try to encourage them, to remind them that that despite what they may feel and despite what they may think, they're actually better together. So this is what the writer of Hebrews says. Let us hold unswervingly. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. And the hope that we profess is the hope and the belief in Jesus Christ that life is found in and through him, both life in this life and in the next. That is the hope that we profess to as Christians, that Jesus Christ is the son of God, that he was crucified, dead, buried, and resurrected on the third day. And it is in him and in following in his way 
that we can have life to the fullest in this one and in the next. That's the hope that we as Christians ascribe to. And that's the hope that Christians for 2,000 years have believed in. It's the hope that we profess in. And so what the writer is saying at the very beginning is that do not let go of where you have placed your hope. Do not trust in some political party. Do not trust in some ideology. Do not trust in anything other. Do not place your hope in your life, in the quality and the outcome of your life. Do not place any of your hope in anything other than your belief in Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say, for he who promised is faithful. Referring to God. Listen, you can trust God. You can trust God that through Jesus Christ, we can have life. He is the example. He is the way. He is the model for how we should live. We don't need to look to the news or to social media to find guidance for how we're supposed to live our life. We can find it in the person of Jesus Christ. So let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Now it's not just enough to hold on to the hope that we profess, to trust in God that life is found in Jesus Christ. It's not just enough to do that. You could do that at home. You could do that by yourself. You could do that in a closet separated and away from any of the people in your life. They could and we could. The Christian faith is not a solo sport. And so the author goes on. Let us consider how we can spur one another on. I love that. I imagine somebody jumping on a horse and digging in their heels to the side of the horse, encouraging them, prodding them, suggesting, motivating them, inspiring them, encouraging each other toward love and good deeds, towards compassion, charity, kindness, forgiveness, mercy, grace, the way that we're supposed to embody what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So it's not just enough to believe in Jesus Christ. But we have to surround ourselves with other people who encourage us and who we encourage, who inspire us and who we inspire, who we motivate each other to follow more fully in the example of Christ. Now, it seems strange when we think about it in the context of church, but we do this every other category of our life. If you want your child to be a better baseball player, what do you do? You put him in an environment with other really good baseball players. You put him on a team, an elite team, a travel team, somewhere where the level of competition is at its highest. The same if your child wants to play soccer or she wants to play volleyball or whatever the sport, whatever the, the competition is. If you want your child to be better at a particular skill set or sport or aptitude or any of the things that we, we want for our children or even for ourselves, we put them in environments where they're surrounded by a higher caliber, a higher quality level of skill and talent at the one that they're trying to develop. So it's no different than those of us who want to follow and imitate Jesus Christ. The way that you get better at imitating Jesus Christ, of following in his way, is to surround yourself with people who do the exact same thing, who have the same values, who have the same belief systems, who spend their money the same way, who vote the same way, who prioritize certain things above other things because they are followers of Jesus Christ. That's their identity first and foremost. It's not based on anything else other than the person of Jesus Christ. And so when you surround yourself with those type of people, just like in any other environment, when you join 
certain groups or clubs that help you, you know, perfect and develop, you know, a skill set in this professional area. It's the same way that it works with church. We have to surround ourselves with people who make us better. Because again, the thing that we have forgotten that we need to be reminded of is we are actually better together. You don't see any famous person in any particular area or arena who got there solely by themselves. All of them will tell you that, it is, that they stand on the shoulders of the giants who came before them, that they were encouraged, that they were developed, that they had mentors and peers who made them better, that helped them develop. The same is true for the church. And for those of us who follow Jesus Christ, what we need most of all is to be surrounded by other people who follow Jesus Christ. This isn't something that we can just do as a family. This isn't just something that you can do as an individual or as a couple. This is something that we need to do as a community. The same is true for us, just as it was for the people in the very first century who were reading this letter written to them. And so this is what the author continues on. Let us consider how we can encourage each other, motivate each other, remind each other towards love and good deeds and not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Stop getting together. Stop, stop getting together. We have to continue to get together because we know that some of you are in the habit of not getting together. Now, this is a pretty interesting passage to read in the light of all that we've navigated over the last six months. Especially interesting to preach as the one who made the decision to close the door six months ago to this building. And so what we recognize is there is value in us being together in the ways that we can be together, which is why for six months we've gathered together every Sunday morning virtually, just like we're doing now. But here's the announcement. Not because of this passage, but because of the power of the truth that we're better together, we are going to start gathering together as a church once again in person. That's right. We are going to start gathering together again as a church in person. On Sunday morning, September 20th at 10 a.m., we will have an in-person worship service on our lawn. And I want you to be there. For those of you who are able and willing to come, I want you to come. Why? Because we are better together. Now, for those of you who are saying, hang on, wait a minute, that doesn't feel safe. I don't know about this. I have some concerns. What if I'm physically not capable of attending this service or I'm in a category that makes me highly susceptible to being infected by the coronavirus? We haven't forgotten about you. Nothing is going to discontinue with our online gathering. The reason that we do this is so that we can all gather together in the ways that we are able. But there are new ways that we are able to gather together. And we are better together. And so starting Sunday, September 20th at 10 a.m., we are going to have in-person church. Now, we'll be sending out more details on what that looks like and all of the things that you need to know. It's not the point of the sermon is to tell you all of the details, but the point is to let you know that we are going to start gathering together because we are better together. And so the writer of the Hebrews passage writes this, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And I know how easy it is on Sunday mornings when you're like, oh yeah, church is online at 10 a.m. Oops, we forgot. I know how easy it is to forget. It's easy to get busy prior to COVID and say, oh, we'll get church next time. We have to remember that we are best together. We are better together. And so we have to find ourselves and make ways and prioritize gathering together. It's the only way that we can become more like the person of Jesus Christ. And so for those of you who take your Christian faith seriously, 
It's more than just a name. It's more than just a facade that you place on your life. For those of you who are trying to actually live and imitate the person of Jesus Christ, we have to do it together. We have to do it in community. We have to do it in what Christ called his church, which literally means the gathering, the assembly, those whom I've called out. So it's time that we start gathering together as a church. And then the writer ends it this way. So don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another. And so here's my encouragement to you. Wherever you find yourself this morning, whatever these last six months have looked like, whether you have felt in a significant way the separation and the isolation that COVID has brought upon our world and upon our community and upon your world, or whether you've navigated this in a different way and you've been able to spend time with your family and your friends in a way that feels satisfactory. As the church, we have to start gathering together again. We are better together. The life of a Christian is hard, period. It is nearly impossible in isolation. And so we have to prioritize. I want this church to prioritize gathering together once again. Now you can do it in person starting September 20th. You can continue to do it online each and every Sunday in the way that we're doing now. But we have to prioritize gathering together as a church. One of my favorite parts about the, the story of, of the fireflies that I didn't share a second ago was what scientists have now realized is that in this natural phenomenon as all of the bugs light up on and off, as they coordinate for stretches of thousands of feet along the banks of this river in Southeast Asia, the light from all of the bugs, the glow, the unbelievable radiance of all of the bugs flashing in sync can be seen from miles away. And so what happens when other lightning bugs see all of the other bugs flashing and lighting up miles away? They're drawn toward it. And the, and the group grows larger and larger to create more light and more light, attracting more bugs and more bugs. It's the metaphor of the church. Jesus looked at his group of followers and he said, you are the light of the world. And I believe that that is true now more than ever. We as a church, we have to come together to remind ourselves that we are better together because now more than ever, the world needs the church. More than anything else in the world, the world needs a group of people gathering together, encouraging each other, motivating each other, picking each other up when we fall down and when we fall short, reminding each other that we can follow in the way of Jesus. And when we do, the result is love and good deeds. We share and we demonstrate God's goodness and richness with everyone. And what does that do? Just like the fireflies, it brings more people towards God. We're better together. And I can't wait to see you in person on September 20th. Let me pray for our time together this morning. Gracious God, we love you. And we are grateful for your love for us as demonstrated in your son. God, help us to remember the truth that you designed us to be relational and that we are designed to be in relationship with each other and designed to be in relationship with you. And the place where that happens best is what you call church. And so God, make it possible for us to gather together in person. Give us the encouragement. Give us the strength. Give us the fortitude to take the steps that we need to to be better together in your name.
Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you live in the Dallas area, we would love for you to visit us. For directions, service times, and more info, visit us at grove.org.